episode of the NRL All-Stars podcast. This is Barnsley, back ahead of round 13 and the Talk and Footy episode of the week. What a special one it is because we just had the Origin teams announced. Fantastic time of year. We do get dudded off a few games for the round for this week, but we're a pretty good sacrifice to make for getting an Origin game for Origin game one next Wednesday. So great week to talk about footy. Also a great week to have a guest on that I haven't had for about three Two months now, I think. So it's been a little while anyway. Wilfred Z from the Supercoach Champions podcast, former overall Supercoach champion as well, it must be said. Also resident Broncos fan, which is the wrong time to get him on because they're still going well. But anyway, I love talking footy with Wilfred. So Wilfred, welcome aboard again. Great to have you. Cheers, Barnsley. Always, uh, like I say it every time, but I genuinely do enjoy coming on and having a chat about footy, as you say. We uh, you know, get into some fairly spirited discussions from time to time and it's always good fun because, yeah, I think that's the thing with footy, right? You can have so many different opinions and you could all be, you know, kind of right in different ways. But, yeah, I do enjoy our, uh, our chats. <laughs> well, no doubt it'll be an enjoyable one on a lot of different levels, this one, because you are also the resident Queensland fan on this podcast and I am the New South Wales fan. So it works out really well that we get to talk about the origin teams because, Obviously, you're a mad Queenslander, I'm a mad Blues man, so that's going to be a pretty good discussion shortly too. But look, if you you do love the Supercoach stuff, obviously the All-Stars have your Supercoach covered every week. We've got the Tuesday TLT record that we do. It's every Wednesday afternoon. And also the Talking Footy one. Now you can grab that everywhere, but you can also grab Wilford's podcast too if you like the Supercoach. Give it the Supercoach champions a listen. That's fantastic with all the boys there and a lot of previous winners that talk a lot of good substance that you can use for your super coach teams too. Before we get into it, Wilfred, we had Indigenous round, round 12, great footy, a few big talking points. Before we go to the first game, I need to just mention to everyone as well, the fantastic partner of the All-Stars podcast in Picklebet. Jump on to picklebet.com, take a look. They are a great way to punt if you like your, if you like your punting, certainly for sports betting, but also for racing. E-gaming, they're fantastic. They're, they're one of the best e-gaming bookies in Australia for the last couple of years that they've been around. But they're a pretty new bookmaker, so they're adding new stuff all the time. You can now do same-game multis on there, and they've got a whole heap of extra markets. So if you had a look at Picklebet before and you thought, oh, there's only a few markets on different sporting events and stuff, go have a look again because they're adding stuff all the time. You've now got same-game multis that you can do. And you've also got the All-Stars same-game multi that's available there too, which is our special bet of the week that we do each week as well. So you can go under specials for the for round 13 for the NRL and you'll see the All-Stars special. Go and check that one out because I reckon it's fantastic. We've got the Eels 13+, plus, the Knights 10+, plus, and each of their try-scoring wingers to score, Marju and Sivo going across for any time. Now, you're going to get fantastic odds on that one. That's And, and I, I love that one. I love the value and I love using pickle bets. So. When you go on Picklebet, make sure that you use the code ALLSTARS as your referral code when you sign up, and that way they'll know you, that one, you're one of our listeners and they'll take fantastic care of you. Picklebet.com, go jump on. They're fantastic. Think, is this a bet you really want to play? So for free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Wilfred, round 12. First of all, let's talk Indigenous round. Uh, it's a fantastic concept. You know, why don't you... Why don't you lead the way on Indigenous Round and have a bit of a chat about um, how you feel about 
us having that each year because I, I think it's fantastic. And we, I, I've spoken about Anzac Round before about how the NRL does it right and always seems to come through. Indigenous Round's pretty similar to me. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think for, for given, you know, the game of rugby league and there's just, there, there are so many Indigenous players, not just like Australian Indigenous, but obviously like the, the Maori and uh, the New Zealand Indigenous there as well. Like it's just a really, really, you know, it's a great celebration of that history and the culture. The one thing I will knock is um, I'm, I'm, it was a little bit upsetting that the Warriors were the team on the bye this round, given that they obviously do have the Maori uh, Indigenous uh, representation in their squad primarily. But, yeah, look, I, I think it's a, it's a fantastic concept. and I think the, the NRL do, do it well. And, uh, yeah, long may it continue because I think it's so important that we do continue to recognise and, and celebrate that history and culture. Yeah, well said. It's really good. And it, it is a shame with the Warriors. I mean, I guess one of the things is like I found that quite disappointing as well, but it's just one of the pitfalls of having 17 teams, right? You're always yeah. going to have someone miss out. Like the, you had someone miss out on Magic Round as well and, and Anzac Round and so forth. It's just going to happen each time. So it's just... Unfortunate, and I guess whatever team that we left out, you know, every team's got some great Indigenous heritage and also players in their ranks currently, and they're going to be disappointed anyway. So, bit of a hard one. But when we're talking about the footy, um, Indigenous round twelve opened up with your Brisbane Broncos versus the Penrith Panthers, and it was a game where Brisbane only managed four points. The Panthers scored fifteen, and at halftime it was eight nil. Uh, Brisbane never actually had the lead. And I did think coming into this one that Penrith had been rounding into a bit of form. I did think that they were going to be the team to beat. But in saying that, I, I thought Brisbane did quite well considering the fact that um, they had the Adam Reynolds injury, obviously. So when we're having a look at their side, you had Madden at half and Mam at six. And I think Mam has been a little bit underwhelming this year. And obviously Walsh leading the way. And I said, I said the, the week before, I worried for the Broncos this week because... I thought that Walsh has been the missing piece, not just because he's been such a dynamic player, but because he's taken so much pressure off the rest of the spine. The Broncos have never had a nine for several years. And it meant that a lot was falling on Adam Reynolds and last year, a rookie, Mam. And Ezra Mam really needs to play off the back of, you know, other stuff. And if all the pressure's on Adam Reynolds to play, make, then it makes it very difficult. So having Reese Walsh there, I think, has made that spine click fabulously. So I did worry uh, with him out and someone like Madden coming in, how they'd go. Obviously, Panthers have got a good attack, Wilford. They only managed to get four points put against them from the Broncos. So, I mean, it seemed like a pretty good effort. There were some immense efforts as well from some of the forwards. I thought Carrigan actually was outstanding. He had 19 runs, three offloads, three tackle breaks, 67 tackles, and no errors or penalties conceded. I I thought he was absolutely phenomenal. But at the end of the day, the, the Panthers were just a bit too strong for your Broncos. Yeah, look, I think your your summary is spot on. I had very similar concerns. I, I mean, the the best thing about the Broncos this year is that they, whatever's happened over the off season, their mentality this year has been a lot more impressive to me. They've capitulated many times in the last two seasons in particular, and you know we saw even last year when they were coming top four at some point, like they'd gotten off the back of you know good attack off the back of Adam Reynolds creating things and stuff like that. But whenever they were put under pressure, they just folded. And from what we've seen so far, look, you know, they, they've not been perfect. I think that's pretty clear. But 
their defensive attitude is far, far superior to last year. They, you know, this game, I it last year this would have been you know forty to four at, at some point. Like the, the the dominance of the Panthers had ball in hand. Like they ran for almost seven hundred meters more than the Broncos. They, you know, they they had so many more sets uh, completed. They had the ball for I think an extra twelve minutes comparatively. So forty two percent possession for Broncos. It's it's pretty bad when you're facing Panthers. Exactly, and the fact that they only kept the Panthers to two tries, albeit you know there were some disallowed tries, but I don't think they were con- controversially disallowed. Like there were knock ons and stuff like that. Um, you know, maybe there were one or two, but overall, like the fact that they still only had uh, two tries scored against them, despite the disparity in possession, I thought that was really encouraging as a Broncos fan. So you know, as far as a loss goes, you. You know, it's never nice, but at least you want to lose while they're putting in some genuine effort and they're still in the game. And, like, for for a game without Adam Reynolds, I think this is probably as, you know, one of the best performances we could have asked for. So, to me, I, I take I take heart from it. I'm encouraged. Certainly not seeing the Broncos as a genuine premiership threat yet for me, even as a hopeful Broncos fan. But, you know, I'm, I'm fairly confident we're going to, make sure we stay in the top eight at least and get to play some finals footy for, a, you know, it's been a while. So yeah, that's going to be uh, something I'm looking forward to this year. I thought Nathan Cleary was outstanding as well. He, uh, whilst the Broncos didn't appear to do too badly, you know, putting Penrith to only 15 points, Nathan Cleary had three line breaks by himself and also a try. And he was running the ball quite well. Uh, and I think that the Broncos really struggled to be able to contain him. You know, the, one of the problems with Cleary, right, is that he does run the ball really well and straightens up and hits holes and he's quite strong for his size when he wants to, but you're always hanging off him as a defender because, you know, you're worried about the plays he's going to make when he passes the ball or kicks it and his short kicking game's outstanding. So I think that the Broncos were a bit, bit on the back foot, foot from that. But uh, look, interesting segue finishing up on this game. You mentioned that you don't think that the Broncos are quite contenders yet. I'm surprised at the amount of heat that people have got, me included, <laughs> on social media by uh, saying that like South Sydney are the benchmark because there's a lot of angry Broncos fans, Wilfred, so I'm keen to get your perspective as a Brisbane Broncos fan about people not putting the Broncos there. Now, the Broncos, after that loss, dropped to fourth on the ladder. They were equal first going into the round. And I just I don't see it as disrespectful because I think that the Broncos have improved immensely at the moment, but... You've always got to look at it in context, right? The Broncos haven't been a premiership powerhouse the last few years. South Sydney have kept going to preliminary final after preliminary final for years, and they're they're playing very good football as well. So they've got the current form guide over the last few years, whereas the Broncos last year ended up falling completely out of the top eight race in the second half of the season. So I do think the Broncos have a huge amount to prove at this period because they're obviously going to lose a lot of players now. And it's it's not having a crack at the Broncos to say that their draw has been favourable. It's not the Broncos' fault they got that draw, but it has been favourable. You know, someone like the South Sydney Rabbitohs played the Storm and the Panthers twice in the first 10 rounds, and Brisbane, 80% of their games up until now have been not leaving the state of Queensland. So it's not the Broncos' fault. It's not having a crack at them. You can only play what's in front of you, and the Broncos have done well and certainly improved. But certainly I'm waiting myself for this next period, the this origin period, the harder draw players out, how they're actually looking when we get to round 20, I think is really going to tell us how much they've improved. Do you think I'm, I'm off the mark there or how are you sort of feeling about them right now entering into this run? 
I think, and maybe it's just because the Broncos have, like the fans have been starved for success for so long that, you know, a bit of the old Broncos fan arrogance has come back in when they were, you know, leading the comp for so many weeks. So, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I like to see myself as a pretty realistic fan. And, you know, I came into this season thinking, you know, Walsh, was going to improve us uh, more particularly ball in hand, but I, I genuinely thought he was going to offer a little bit more, um, I guess, energy, enthusiasm, intensity. And I, I feel like he's brought all those things, but you know, for all of that, I still saw them finishing around the seventh, eighth mark. So, you know, I like to be fairly realistic, I, I feel anyway. But, but yeah, I, I don't think you're off there. Like that, I, I still see it as, you know, I had the Rabbitohs as a grand final, um, you know, in the preseason, I picked them as one of my grand finalists. And I actually, you know, the, the other side is I picked your roosters to be the other side of the equation there, and that doesn't seem... We picked the same grand final. Look at that. Preseason, yeah. same grand final. So, and look, obviously, we were both, um, we did pretty well with the Rabbitohs side, not so much with your roosters, but I'm sure we'll come to that later. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come to that next, actually. We'll yeah. move straight to it now. But yeah, I just think, like, we're not on the same level, right? It's be, you, you hit the nail on the head. They just haven't shown themselves to be consistent enough so far. Um, look, so far this year, they have for the most part. I think there's only been one game that I've been really disappointed, and that was when they lost to the Raiders. Every other game, I've been fairly happy with how they played, um, you know, win or lose, basically. So uh, if if they can continue that for the rest of the season, I think they're not only playing finals, they could finish top four. And I guess once you're there, you know, you only need to put together two two or three good games and you're in with the sniff, right? So uh, I'm, I'm definitely not considering them a, a genuine contender yet, but they're setting them, they've set themselves up to have a real crack at it. And, you know, the next four or five weeks, you say it's a harder draw, but yeah, it's harder because of origin, but I kind of feel like it's yeah, in, in, in some ways, the teams that they get to play, like the Warriors this week will be tough, obviously, because they're, you know, they're never affected and they come off the bye. So it's a double whammy there. And then and you're playing away too. Yeah. yeah that, that's I think the part of the draw too. I think you got more, more outside of Queensland games is the other thing that's going to happen. Yeah. Which is inevitable. And they don't get to play at Suncorp in the second half of the season. They'll be playing mostly at the Gabba, which will be a whole new experience for a lot of those guys. So there's a few things like that. But, you know, over these next few rounds, like even though they're going to be origin affected, like Sharks, uh, Knights, they get the buy, their first um, their first buy of the year in round 16, uh, which will be long overdue for these boys. And then they'll get the Titans and the Dolphins in round 17 and 18 before they get the second buy in round, round 19. So I kind of feel like that that's not too bad of a run over that origin period and, you know, where they sit, if they're still in the top four come round 20 when they take on the Bulldogs, I kind of feel like they're, they're a genuine shot to still finish, you know, in that top four and uh, could be, yeah, not, not a threat, but hopefully they're, they're a shot at maybe making the prelim or something like that. So the next game, Roosters 22, Dragons 24. Roosters lost on the buzzer. It really does, in a nutshell, show what the Roosters' season has been for me. So from a Roosters fan's perspective, um, I don't think that <laughs> that try that was scored by Fainai in the 80th minute, you could do that same play 100 times over and that would be the only one that actually ended up a try. It was such a difficult pick-up, <laughs> bounced off his shins and was a low pick-up at speed and he managed to hold it and score the try. Absolute heartbreaker, but that's the luck that the Roosters have had this year and also last year. But on the actual performance too, the thing that they've got to blame themselves for, for me when I'm watching this game, 
And I said this to so many Roosters fans that I was chatting to at the time and friends of mine, we didn't deserve to win that game because the things that we've done wrong this year and the things wrong with our team, we did wrong again this game. I thought the Roosters played really well the second half, particularly for a 30-minute period. I thought that they were how I wanted to see them play. But unfortunately, the whole first 40 minutes, Wilfred, I was absolutely livid because it was atrocious the first half. They went in to halftime losing this match 12-0, and it was 12-0 after, what, like 10 minutes or something. Uh, They were losing immediately, and it was poor because they had a really good chance at the start of the game to actually put points on early, and they didn't end up 12-0 down instead of 6-0 up. And the attacking sets were just terrible and pedestrian. They just kept taking hit-ups. They didn't have any sort of shape or plays or variance. And they just had none of that. And then in the second half, you see a play like the the ruck play with Teddy coming through on an inside ball behind the ruck and making a line break. And you just sort of think, well, where was this in the first half? Where was this the last month? What have you guys been doing? Because the attack was awful. You did nothing. In the, basically only turned up to play the second half of footy. If you're going to do that at NRL level, you're not going to win enough games, even if you're playing at sides like St. George Illawarra. And to their credit, the Dragons were pumped up. They've obviously got a new coach. They've obviously got a lot of media pressure. And they, and they came to play and they played well. And if the Roosters played like they did in the second half, Wilfred, got no doubt they would have won the game easily and it wouldn't have come down to the last play. But because they didn't, they didn't earn the right for the Dragons not to have that last play to win the match and the Dragons pulled it off. I think that's uh, really well said. Uh, I mean, you know, as a, as a neutral fan, um, you know, not supporting the Roosters, I've always been wondering what's with the team selections. And I... You know, you've obviously talked about what, what the team's doing wrong, uh, you know, during the games and things like that. But are you concerned with some of the choices that Trent Robinson's making personnel-wise? Um, look, yes and no. Like when I look at this game and I look at the team sheet, I don't think they've got any other choice. So like, you know, I, I get it. I even get a chance to have a crack at a Bronco here, which is great. So Jake Turpin, he's not a good knight <laughs> at all. Uh, I don't want him in first grade, but I mean, he was signed yeah. as a backup and we didn't have much choice. Brandon Smith's got a broken thumb and he's out for eight weeks now. So we're going to see a lot more of Terps now, uh, but there's just no one else to put there. And then at the same time, you know, Drew Hutchison started seven for this game. I like Drew Hutchison as a really good club man and an 18th man and to plug every now and then. He's been playing consistently and starting in important positions. And again, I don't I just aside from the early stages of the year when he was starting at centre, by this week, Drew Hutchison starting the halves, we had no choice. We didn't have anyone else. Corey Allen, I didn't want to see him at first in first grade, aside from two or three games during Origin. Don't have that luxury. Um, I think we're going to see a much different side uh, after this bye in round 13. In round 14, they're going to come out and they're going to have Tupo back. They're going to have Manu back. They're going to have Sam Walker a week away after that potentially, and he'll probably come back. So I, as much as there's probably been some mistakes with Robinson, I, I just think that a lot of that's been exasperated by the fact that he doesn't have many options as well. Sure. And there's been a lot of injuries. And really, it's it's very unlucky. And, you know, people will say that's a cop-out. They've been playing shit too. Okay, there's no getting around that. But <laughs> they've also been very unlucky yet again with some of these injuries and stuff. I mean, to lose Brandon Smith for eight weeks on the weekend, he hasn't been playing well, but he hasn't even strung two or three games together. He hasn't been healthy all year. You know, so, I mean, we can all sit here and say Brandon Smith needs to be a 13 or he needs to be on the bench or it's a bad signing. I don't even know yet. Like, I don't even know. And we're probably yeah. not going to know even this year now. So 
yeah, I just think it's been pretty unlucky and I'm hoping that in a couple of weeks the side that ran out against the Dragons will be very different to the side that we see in a couple of weeks' time. I think that's a fair point. Like, the injuries certainly haven't helped. But I guess, as you pointed out, it's like it's just, you know, it's magnified some of the other issues or some of the other choices, I feel like, that um, Robinson's made so far. But, look, you know, Robbo's been a good coach for a long time, uh, one of the best in the NRL, and I think that gives him a bit of leeway to make some of these bold calls. Um, but, yeah, like even, you know, when when he put Manu at 5'8", like obviously from a supercoach perspective, we love that, right, because he's an absolute weapon when he plays 5'8", but I did feel it made the the attack very disorganised. It seemed to, you know, often uh, blunt some of the attacking potential from the other players around him just because, you know, he's ultimately not really a 5'8", right? He's not got that, um, you know, significant experience there the way I was like someone like Cleary, uh, Kiri, obviously, um, is you know, much more comfortable playing that role there. So I, I just, you know, I understand wanting to shake things up because Sam Walker had, you know, had some indifferent form and maybe he was trying to send a message there, but I just don't know if his backup plan was going all that well. If, if you get what I'm trying to say there without trying to be too critical of, you know, the decision. Oh, hundred percent. Like, and look, hopefully this puts to bed all of the, all of the armchair critics that say, you know, Joey Manu needs to be starting at fullback or at six. Like he, he's a phenomenal player, but at six, he, he is not a good half to have in your side because you've just seen it here in this game again, where, you know, you don't have him there. And um, I actually thought we looked better in this, you know, really for the game. And that's Drew Hutchison stepping in next to Kiri. And it's only because Drew Hutchison can actually kick a football, you know, at the moment <laughs> you put Manu in at six, your only kicker in this team is Luke Kiri. And that's pretty easy for a defense. And it's also pretty easy when Luke Kiri doesn't have a big boot. It all of a sudden becomes a much smaller boot because he's got a lot more pressure on him yeah. and a lot more space and time, a lot less space and time. So it, it, Manu at six isn't isn't great. And he's also better off at center if you just give him a roving role. And I thought Trent Robinson really untapped that potential last year with how he did that. So, But there's been a lot of critics that wanted him at six, so hopefully this just shuts him up a little bit. But yep. at the same time, I think that um, like I'm very confident that, and I've got it on pretty, you know, reliable sources and people that are, you know, fans of the game too, that are in with, uh, talk about the Roosters to me a lot and stuff. And I just, I don't believe that Sam Walker in second grade was ever going to be a long-term thing. It's just, again, it's one of those things that in a normal season of the Roosters, three, four, five years ago, especially, it would be like, it would work and it would be fine. And then we just, every single thing that the Roosters seem to touch now gets gets killed by an injury because like Sam Walker, I reckon, would have been back. And then all of a sudden he does his knee and he's out for a month. <laughs> and then it looks like, oh, he's going to have like two months out of first grade. It's like, I don't think that was ever meant to be the case. I think Manu was a fine stopgap and now he's become a non-stopgap, although he's injured now too. You know, it's just, uh, I can go on and on. But look, to, to, to yeah. say a positive about this game, James Tedesco had his best game in the year by a mile. Yep. I And I will even go as far to say, you know, he's had a lot of critics this year and I've defended him a lot because, you know, and you can see it in this game, like the first half he had heaps of critics even of this game where people were coming out on social media and everything and blasting him. And even some of the commentators have turned on him a little bit. Okay. And I was saying at halftime, 
you know, to me, if you're worried about a player and where they're at, or you don't want to pick them for New South Wales when you're captain and, you know, playing origin for all these years and one of the best players for your, your state or even your country, and you're talking about dropping him and stuff in his form, there's a few things that you look at for me. One of them is defensively you've fallen down really badly and you're getting found out. The other is that um, you're making heaps of errors. And the other is that you're off the pace. And none of those things apply to Tedesco. Like if you go through the season, he's not making a huge amount of errors at all. He's defensively still very good. He's not getting shown up heaps as far as speed or, you know, agility or, you know, being able to play first grade football. None of those things are factors. And those are the factors to me to say, geez, it's actually the career downturn happening here. Unfortunately, it's just the attack and he's not getting the ball and his team's not got possession and they're making errors and he's not getting the opportunity. In the second half, he really took it upon himself when the Roosters played better footy. He made two line breaks. Um, he scored two tries. He had 11 tackle breaks. He had a try assist. That scrum play I talked about was magic. But when the game was on the line, James Tedesco came in, was first on the chase of that kick ripped out the ball on a one-on-one steal from Surly and then went over and scored a try that looked like the match winner. Like, I thought it was an incredible second-half performance and hopefully, hopefully, quietens down the doubters a little bit. Yeah, look, I I was one who actually spoke to, I expected, uh, you know, some regression here for Teddy, basically, based on his age, based on the amount of footy he's played and, you know, the fact that he was coming back from the World Cup as well. So, I genuinely expected the slow start, which is obviously what we saw. But, you know, he's still such a classy player, right? And he's still one of the best uh, going around. And, you know, he showed that in this game. And I, I just think, you know, this might be the turnaround. You know, like he's he's warmed up now. He's warmed into the season. And just like Teddy every year, it's the second half of the year where he just absolutely takes off. So, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, that probably put the competition back on high alert. And no doubt the... The Queenslanders are uh, yeah, a little bit nervous seeing Teddy in, you know, probably his, yeah, as you say, his best game of the season easily in this one. Probably one, one of the best halves of football I've ever seen him play, I'll even say. You know, like that second half is probably up there with his best performances ever as far as a half of football because he did a lot in that half of football. Um, against but the Dragons, though. <laughs> but, but I was going to say, like, we've got to finish up by giving credit to the Dragons. I thought they played quite well. Like, they really did definitely come to play. There was a lot of emotion. There was a couple of little stinks and stuff. You saw how much they celebrated. Like, they really wanted that win. And I think that after Hook got sacked and the pressure was on them, like, I thought that you had really nice touches by guys that have been under pressure. Um, ben Hunt did some really good things, uh, scored a really good try. Amone and also Lomax as well. Lomax was really getting in there defensively and really trying to prove a point too. I thought that they were really up for it, the Dragons, and I knew they would be after losing their coach, but I actually I think the Dragons deserve a lot of credit because they really put in and they didn't want to lose this one. And I think that a lot of the apathy and laziness and stuff that you saw sometimes from some of these performances of the St. George Illawarra Dragons, I don't think it was there as much this game at all. And that could be a turning point for them too, positively. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, maybe I was a little bit harsh, but... Uh, you know, definitely with Lomax swapping back to the right side seemed to be, you know, maybe a catalyst. Maybe he never wanted to go to the left and it was a coaching decision. Who knows? It just said, certainly felt like he, you know, flicked the switch and something clicked this time around. And yeah, definitely his, his best game of the his best game of the season. Well, we move along and the blockbuster of the round. I, I got surprised when I think one of the commentators said that 
uh, Dolphins versus Storm, the blockbuster of the round. And I was like, hang on. We had South first Power. To me, that was the blockbuster. Uh, I was really interested in this game, Wilfred, because I actually tipped Parramatta to, to really turn up for this. You know, Parramatta are a side that seemed to really turn up and play well against the top teams. And they lose to teams like the Gold Coast that they shouldn't be. And I thought that they had a good shot at winning, even bet on them on pickle bet. <laughs> but um, nice. at the same time, you know, I did not think that they would win 36 to 16. Uh, they really did show up the South Sydney Rabbitohs. And I, you know, I, I thought it was really good because South have been traveling really well and doing it pretty easy. And I saw, I thought that um, the Eels really put them under a lot of pressure and it, and it paid off for them. Uh, yet again, though, another game where Sebo doesn't score, which is absolutely amazing as a stat in itself. But um, <laughs> it was at halftime 12-10. And I think that it, would, it was probably fair to say the Eels were on top, even though it was only two points. And I think the Eels looked like they were doing it pretty well. But then they just ran away in the second half and just smashed them 36-16 uh, to in the end. Uh, Brown was outstanding again. And... They also got, obviously, Moses back, who was also good. So, you know, that Gutherson was a little bit quieter, but certainly that spine, I think, really stood up for them. And outside backs, they don't get heralded as much. Penasini's been really good. Um, Madison, unfortunately, got injured, but looked really good when he came on early. I just thought that the the Parramatta side overall, considering the outs that they've got in their forward pack too and losing um, Madison after 36 minutes, I thought that they were just really up for it and pretty outstanding. For Souths, you know, do you take much away from this? Do you say, well, maybe they're on the downturn a bit? Maybe they were just, uh, you know, playing above themselves a little bit? I just sort of think that the Eels were red hot and they can do that to some side some weeks, and, and this week it was Souths. Yeah, I, th- I think I tend to lean that way. I genuinely thought the Bunnies were going to get up for this one. Just, you know, they, you know, maybe it's because of their Indigenous representation, but they do really well this round every year. I think, um, you know, they pretty much won every every one for the last couple of years. It might actually have been the Eels a few years back that was their last loss on Indigenous rounds. So I thought uh, the, the Bunnies were going to get up. But, yeah, I, I put it more down to the Eels just being really, really good over the Bunnies being, you know, not as good as hyped up to be. Like they, to me, still seem like one of the benchmark teams. Uh, maybe the Panthers are getting themselves back there, but... Yeah, before this, I would have said the Rabbitohs were like number one in the power rankings, if you want to put it that way. Mm. And yeah, I still have them one or two either way. Like it's going to take a fair bit more for me to see uh, them fall away at this point in time. So yeah, I I wouldn't worry too much about the Rabbitohs. I think they'll be back straight back to it. And um, I kind of worry about who they're going to face this round. <laughs> they're going to be pretty, pretty keen to have a nice bounce, bounce back, if anything. Yeah, I did mention Mitchell Moses. He had four tries this in this, uh, which was outstanding. But on the other side, you mentioned Indigenous round and stepping up for it and how they're going to go this week. Yeah, someone who's not in a representative jersey is Cody Walker. He had three line break assists, three try assists, and a line break himself. He, despite the scoreline, still continued his form, which was surprising because he he was easily um, the best attacking weapon that South's had in this one. I thought that where South really fell down, and this to me is always a litmus test week in and week out, month in, month out, season to season on how well South Sydney will go. Latrell Mitchell was quite, he he was not up to his usual self. Uh, he only had nine runs for the game. Had two line break assists, but I mean, they were pretty standard. It wasn't really great attacking plays or anything. Three out of seven tackles he made. 
and just really just wasn't in the game for me. Um, I mean, the Eels do have a pretty good kicking game. That can take Latrell out of it a bit. Their kick chase was really something, though. A lot of the time, if you saw, he'd get the ball with no space and they'd crowd him pretty quickly. Um, but he just, I feel like, you know, at the start of the season in the early rounds, we said Latrell's got to inject himself for South to, South to fire. And after the first month of footy, he started doing that really well. And it was no coincidence that South looked completely dominant over everybody. And then this is a game where, despite the fact that Cody Walker steps up and is sublime, Latrell Mitchell is sort of nowhere to be seen and they get done pretty easily. I think, you know, it's no secret that he's not the most consistent player. And every now and then you're just going to get one of these games from Latrell. So, uh, yeah, you know, we know what he can do when he's on. It's just you're hoping that he's on more often than not. <laughs> I think that's all it really comes down to. I, I don't mm. think there's a secret to unlocking him. Uh, you know, week in, week out, he's he's pretty good most of the time and every now and then he's going to have one of these dud weeks. So I think chalk it up as one of those and hopefully move on. Chuck's the, uh, 26, the night six. We're not going to focus too much on this game because it was a – it was over after the 20th minute, really. The, the, the Sharks, after the 21st minute uh, conversion by Lockie Miller on Kalen Ponga's try, just went rampant. And I think that the Knights really didn't stand up much at all. But this next game, oh, my God. Leichhardt Oval. It's the scene of a murder. <laughs> the North Queens are Cowboys. Crime scene, 66 to 18. I think that you would have basically won a small Sydney house if you bet on the Tigers to score 66 points against the North Queensland Cowboys. The Cowboys, Wilfred, have been travelling really well the last few weeks in comparison to what they were travelling, you know, the first couple of months of the season. I think that there were signs there for the Cowboys. But when you're having a look at this game, the Tigers were just on right from the outset. They ended up leading at the half 24 to 6. And being the Tigers, I think that people thought, including me, geez, the Cowboys look terrible that half, but they've got a little bit of hope. It's three converted tries. You know, we know the Tigers can drop their bundle a little bit. And then it just got worse. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't even know how to describe it. The um, The stats of the game, unbelievable. 70% completion from the Cowboys, which... You know, it's it's not that bad considering the flogging, but 35% possession, which you can basically see from the scoreline, they missed 55 tackles, Wilfred. 55 tackles to go along with 12 errors. And they only got one, you know, extra penalty conceded than the Tigers as well. But those missed tackles and that defence, the attitude was just horrendous. And I cannot believe how an NRL team could dish that up. Um, at the same time, you know, am I underselling the Tigers? They were dynamic. Their their attack, you know, everyone was going on about how Tim Sheens is an attacking genius for years and he's going to unleash the Tigers' attack. It hasn't happened. Their defence has been pretty solid, but the attack hasn't been there. And this game, offloads, different angles, runners everywhere. They just did everything and they just looked like they were just a park footy side that wanted to get to 100 points. Great for Tigers fans at Leichhardt, but, you know, what do you make of this? Yeah, look, I... Uh... I have to say, you know, I did tip the Tigers in this game, so I thought they were going to win. I just didn't think it was going to be 66 to 18. Uh, you're right when you say the Cowboys had been traveling a bit better. I was quite impressed uh, with them defensively against your Roosters a couple of weeks ago. And then, yeah, I just thought, you know, something had clicked, right? They were trying to, they were starting to, you know, look a little bit more like the Cowboys from last year. But, you know, those were games were still in Queensland. It's, They've they've never really travelled well, so I just thought, look, the Tigers had been showing a bit of form as well. 
even though they hadn't necessarily been winning. Um, or, or I guess they did knock off the Panthers and, uh, you know, even even before the, the wins started coming, they were starting to look better and better. So I did feel like the Tigers were building to another win here. But, yeah, something just absolutely clicked, right? Maybe, yeah, I'm not, not saying it's all genius, <laughs> but maybe <laughs> it's all starting to come together, right? Uh, they've got the right guys in. Maybe, you know, Appy's starting to work with the pack a bit better. Uh, John Bateman, you know, maybe he's looking a little bit healthier. Like, he he had a, a fantastic game uh, whenever he touched the ball. Like, you know, he's always had those abilities, but... Uh, to to break a game open by himself, but it generally looked like he was playing off, you know, the great work from Coruscant and, and just, I don't know what's happened with Luke Brooks lately, right? <laughs> he looks like the guy the Tigers thought he was going to be early on, right? He played great. He, he ran the ball 19 times and he looked like a very willing runner. One line break, two try assists, a line break assist, five tackle breaks and offload. Like he he was really good. And, you know, you hope that it's not to try and get another contract because that's been talked about now at the moment. But he was very good. Uh, Stafford Tower, five line breaks and 12 tackle breaks, two tries, a try assist, but five line breaks. He just absolutely carved them up. You know, Valentine Holmes is, is playing in the origin and yeah. he just got shown up by un, unknown centre. And then you've got someone like Bula who's playing his third game of rugby of NRL and how had, good was he hey oh line break try but two tries this and line break is himself and he just looks like he's basically hitting his prime as a as a four-year veteran now you know it's it, it's hard to tell whether these guys are real gems for the Tigers to polish now and really build around in that back line or whether they just carved up on a, a really lackluster Cowboys you know it's going to be a really interesting coming month or two because the Tigers are fairly unaffected by origin. They do have Appy out, but, you know, that's it. Um, and they do have a pretty good draw, whereas the Cowboys are going to have a few players out and that's really going to test them because they're not playing well full strength. I have to say for the Cowboys, if you want to talk about performers, Drinkwater looked like the only guy on their side that was going to give them any attack. Like he had three tries his himself um, and really sparked a lot, but you know, Dearden and Townsend really did not much at all. Yeah, and look, I think with Townsend, he had a really good year last year. And, you know, so far this year, he's just not, his form's not been there. He's uh, been pretty disappointing on the whole, and I think that's contributed to the Cowboys' struggles. Uh, I think a lot of what Dearden did well last year was off the back of having Townsend playing well, and he's not shown the ability to kind of stand up and take charge of a game when, you know, his half's partner's not playing well himself. So, I think maybe there's, there's an opportunity if, there for Deedon to grow and mature more as a player. And look, I, I think you know, we, we can see what he does well uh, when he gets the opportunities, but it's just, you know, the best halves are the ones who, when nothing's going right, they can still stand up and make something happen, right? And I think, you know, Deedon, the next evolution of him as a player, needs to start finding those opportunities. And, you know, there were definitely times here in this game where, if the Cowboys stood up at the right time and took charge that they could have, you know, the, the scoreline could have been pretty different, but I just, it just felt like once the Tigers got that momentum, it was all one way traffic from there. And you know, I think that's where the points just kept coming and coming and coming in the second half. So it was just, uh, you know, like what they, from the 63rd minute 
they scored another five tries in the last in the next fifteen minutes after that. So yeah, that's just incredible. <laughs> I do not see the Cowboys making the eight this year. Just, oh, no. I think that, that I think that they had a glimmer of hope with the couple of wins the weeks prior, but that's just putting that on their coffin. It's going to be very hard for them to recover from that, especially at the worst time, right before Origin period, the worst time for that to happen to them. But let's move along because I want to finish off on the round review so we can get into the uh, the Origin team shortly too. The twenty four to sixteen Melbourne Storm victory over the Dolphins. Uh, I was surprised at how many people were tipping the Dolphins. I, I all respect to the Dolphins, but I thought the Storm would do this one fairly comfortably. And up until the 66 minute, it was 24 to 4. So credit to the Dolphins for coming back at the end, but it was pretty close to over when they did start there to mount their comeback. But I'll just throw one stat out there for this one, Wilfred, and we'll move on quickly from it. Craig Bellamy now has a record over Wayne Bennett, 30 wins and 10 losses. It's, uh, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? The old apprentice for Bennett, and he still gets the better of Bennett time and time again now. It's an incredible record. Bennett's obviously one of the best coaches of all time. 30 to 10 is the Bellamy record over Bennett. It is absolutely incredible. And, you know, I I keep talking about how the Storm have scarred me for so long, right, because they love beating up on the Broncos. It just keeps happening. doesn't matter how well the Broncos are traveling. They The Storm just managed to reduce them to you know, a mediocre t- team every single time, uh, of course, except for 2006, right? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> look, I think some for some reason, Bellamy just has his measure. He he knows how to coach against Bennett coach teams. And the record, obviously, most of that's been against the, the Broncos. And then obviously a lot of it is, you know, against teams that have struggled as well uh, since then. Souths are very good though. Souths are yeah, very that's good. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And yeah, yet the storm still had the wood on them. So yeah, I, whatever it is, uh, you know, other coaches need to work out what the storm do against Bennett coach teams. That seems to be the secret. He's got the he magic. He could charge a pretty him. high consultancy fee for these clubs after he finishes his coaching next year. <laughs> just the week leading up to a Wayne Bennett team, just get Craig in for <laughs> yeah, I don't know, 25 grand or something for the week. <laughs> uh, pretty good business structure. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Look, the Dogs, 20-18 to 18 victory over the Titans. I, I thought it was an enjoyable game. Uh, two teams that aren't really in the mix just yet, but it'll be interesting over origin period for both again to see how they uh, can beat up on some of the more origin-affected teams. But that last game, the Raiders at home at GIO Stadium versus the Seagulls. The Seagulls got embarrassed the week before. There's no getting around that. They were... Done by Cronulla in a in a side that really you know was down twenty nil for the majority of the game, and they lost thirty two to six a week before in Magic Round to the Broncos, and looked absolutely awful. You know twenty six to ten the week before that against the Titans, they have been travelling atrocious. Their only win, their last win came in round eight versus the Tigers, and they're only six point victors, and they only just scraped home there. This looked like. The Raiders on their big winning streak were just going to continue on. And you sort of feared for the Seagulls because you knew after this one they were going to lose some of their star players and go into a really tough period. They needed the win. Um, 42 to 14, the Seagulls won. And boy, when we talk about Dravojevic putting some doubters to, to bed after you know his performance against the Dragons, even though they lost, Tom Dravojevic, three line breaks, three tries, 20 runs at the football. Who said he looks limp? Who said that he looks like he's injured? He's vintage. He's fine. Absolutely carved up at GIO Stadium. Uh, and really 
sounded alarm bells for this Origin Arena, and probably I think that performance got him his Blues jumper. Oh, I mean, surely he, there was never a doubt that he was going to have a Blues jumper as long as he was actually healthy. I think for me it was just about, you know, is he actually healthy? And like I, I talked about it earlier, not not on here obviously, but there was a game when he played against the Storm uh, where he actually looked really good, but, you know, they didn't. He Because it was a Storm, they, they contained him pretty well on the whole. But health-wise, he looked really um, into the game. But then whatever happened, like the weeks afterwards, he fell away health-wise again. He looked pretty poor until this game. Like, this is the healthiest I've seen him since that Storm game. So it's not about whether he's got the talent. He's got bucket loads of that. It's just, can his body hold up? And it seems like it, on, on the evidence of this game, he's you know managed to get back to uh, close enough to full fitness and full health. So, yeah, as you say, sound the alarm bells. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm scared as a Queenslander. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's bad for the Raiders, but at the same time, they've got what, a seven-game winning streak or something, I think, coming into that one. So, I mean, it's not the end of the world for them because they've positioned themselves fairly well over the last couple of months of footy. Uh, let's move along. First of all, uh, just some transfer news. The Eels have secured Joe Offerhangawi from the Tigers. He'll be playing this week, starting at prop. And it's also being reported, although not officially done, that they're going to sign Connor Tracy. I uh, think that that's outstanding for the Eels. Um, the Joe Offerhangawi is going to offer a lot. Obviously, they've been starting Greg, and he is replacing Ring- Campbell Gillard, who... He's still going to be out for a while. He's going to have a bit of a recovery process even when he comes back. So Joe is going to be great depth. Um, it's been well reported Arthur hasn't used his bench very much, and I think some of that is just because guys like Makatoa and stuff are, are not really big enough minute or trustworthy enough to play enough um, off the bench to give them quality minutes. But Joe O should be able to give them that. And Connor Tracy especially. Like I've been very uh, trying to be diplomatic about it. I've been very negative about some of the outside backs, in particular um, when we've got Bailey Simonson starting at centre for them. It's going to be an issue. Uh, and Connor Tracy on the weekend, Wilfred, he was dynamic. He, he In that first half especially, he was the best player on the field and he was playing at centre for the Sharks. But he's someone who's, I guess, utility value enough to be able to move around to if they end up with guys out in the spine or anywhere else too. So, I mean, they're fantastic signings for an ill side that is already looking like uh, a pretty formidable side coming off that South Sydney victory. Yeah, I, I've been, you know, a fan of Connor Tracy for a while and it's it's just actually, you know, quite disappointing that he's not been out of place steady first grade because obviously the players he's got in front of him, right? So Tracy is absolutely a first grade caliber outside back. Uh, I think, you know, as you say, he carved up and, you know, I think he cost Dan Gagai's uh, origin jersey in the end because of what he did um, to to Gagai. So absolutely, it's great business. If the Eels get Tracy, I think, yeah, they're sorely lacking. I mean, Simonson, Russell, Dunster, these guys are not, yeah, they're, they're not Connor Tracy level even. So I think he's going to strengthen the Eels in an area that they've been lacking for some time. Look, I'm not as bullish maybe on the Joe Offer and Galway signing like I think it's smart business from them again it's a need that they need to fix given the injuries but like Joe's not been very good this year I I have to say last year was quite good and you know showcased and earned a bigger deal but this year I feel like you know whether it's been injury or not but 
he just hasn't been trusted, right? And I think he was sent back to reserve grade for time to build up his fitness and conditioning. So mm. maybe he had a bad off season or something like that, but he's like, he's barely played 40 minutes this year, mostly in the 20 and 30 minute mark. So I'm not sure what the plans are for the Eels. I don't know if he's got the motor to immediately step in and play big minutes, but yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see how he's going to go. I think off the off the bench, if he plays like you know that thirty-five to forty-minute middle role off the bench, that's going to be helpful for them um, as a big body um, that could go into that maybe in the prop rotation. Because yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard because Greg has gotten better for them, and he certainly improved a lot the last few weeks. I was very critical of him, you know, well, his whole short career anyway, but certainly before three weeks ago, I thought it was um, not very good to be giving him the minutes that they were because I just didn't, uh, he would make mistakes and he didn't, he's just a big guy that doesn't really have the motor for the NRL level. Um, so, but he's improved a lot too. But certainly three weeks ago, I thought, you know, someone like Joe could help a lot by just replacing Greg in the in the rotation a fair bit and putting Greg back to 15 minutes a game. But he's obviously improved now, but uh, it's all in context, right? You know, if you're starting Joe, it's not good, but, if you just spot starting him in a, in a round where you've got rep players out and then he's back to the bench into, you know, a 35-minute bench roll, then it, it's certainly better than some of these uh, New South Wales Cup type of guys that you could end up on your bench for your middle rotation. Yeah, look, I totally agree. Like I said, it's great business. I'm just a little, maybe being a little bit more cautious on how big of a role he's going to have, uh, you know, as in Gerald and Gowie, he's going to have for the Eels, especially straight away. Yep. It is origin time. We are to talk origin teams now. Queensland versus New South Wales on the podcast. Exciting, Wilfred. You are the guest. Let's start with Queensland. Uh, overall, you know, just why don't you lead us away? What did you think of the side, basically, overall? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll you know address the elephant in the room. I'm, I'm surprised that they, Billy did go away from Ponga. And, you know, he's been consistently one of their Queensland's best players. Uh, you know, he wasn't player of the series last year, but he was definitely in the in the mix. So, yeah, to go from being one of the best last series to not playing, I think it's a bit of a shock. I would have thought at least he'd be in the squad. Uh, I mean, I, I do also understand the hesitation around, um, you know, his health at the moment. He's only played, I think, the, the number is like maybe seven or eight games in the last 10 months, and that's significant. Like, he's just not been able to, but... When you look at the, the games that that included, it, you know, it did include you know, two games of origin where he was one of the best players on the field. So that um, you know, speaks to obviously what he can bring. Uh, I also you know, do think Reese Walsh is in better form than Ponga, despite the one or two good games that Ponga's played. So I don't, I, it's, it's not a criticism of the Walsh selection. It's more, you know, I still think Ponga somewhere would have been good, but. Yeah, the other one is, um, yeah, obviously Gaga losing a spot is probably the other thing. Um, defensively, at Senna, he's always been a little bit suspect. If he wasn't, you know, if if Billy had concerns about his defense there, just chuck him in the wing. Like, I think Talangi's not exactly been in good form. I know he's got the combination of Val, but I'd much prefer to have Dan Gaga, you know, a proven, like the, the meme is, you know, you've got um, South Gaga and Origin Gaga, right? Or, or Knights Gaga. And Origin Gagai, and you've got the wrong, he's in the wrong setting. So, Dan Gagai. When you get to the finals matches, you just put the maroon jersey underneath the South Sydney one just to, just to make sure, you know, he's going to stick Exactly. Up. Like, he's always delivered whenever, whenever he's had a maroon jersey on. So, 
that's probably why I'm a little bit disappointed on not seeing him there. But, you know, Billy is, he's shown that he's been able to, uh, it's a small sample size, but coaching wise, he made some good selections last year and he made some good interchange use and, and uh, smart coaching plans, I thought. So I guess in Billy, we trust. And I think that's probably the other, um, yeah. So the only other thing I'd probably talk about is Tom Flegler. I'm a little bit concerned about him starting. I'm really hoping he's going to move to the bench. I, I think he's good as a bench impact player when he comes on and, you know, can bring a lot of uh, energy and, and impact and, you know, hopefully it limits the, the brain snaps that he can be guilty of. But, you know, I, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see how he goes as a starter. Like for me, even as a Broncos fan, like I want him off the bench, even though, you know, he might come off. Uh, he, he's generally been starting this year, but like I feel like he's best is best used when he comes off the bench. He still plays 40, 50 minutes or whatever. So it's not about the minutes he plays. It's about the time of the game that he's on the field for me. So, yeah, I think that's how I'd probably, yeah. And there's not, not too many other criticisms I would have about the, the, the team he's picked. Well, the criticism I'd have is how it's uh, Queensland's pick-and-stick policy and New South Wales don't know origin until Queensland don't want to pick-and-stick and then that's not knowing origin anymore. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> like, I think um, there's always the, the the arguments between the states, you know, and I think Queensland feel aggrieved sometimes that the media is Sydney-centric or doesn't give them the credit they deserve. But I tell you what, Queenslanders, you know, if New South Wales did this, they would be... Brad Fittler would be put on a spit, barbecued and eaten. It would be all... Like, they'd probably sack him the day before the origin patch. It would just... It would be chaos. But very, very little has been said about King Billy here um, on not picking and sticking. And you know what? It's... I always think that it's a bit ridiculous. With, you know, you've got to be loyal and stuff. Xavier Coates, you know, that's not a hard decision. Xavier Coates hasn't been playing well. And he's not someone that just need, needs to be handed a jersey. Yeah, that's That's nothing. You don't even talk about that. Kalen Ponga was one of the best players on the field. It was a game three last year. He has always played well, even when he's playing a 14 and get thrown in as a, as a number 13 on the field. He has played outstanding for Queensland. And I don't want to say it's like dropping, uh, you know, a, a Darren Lockyer from fullback or a Billy Slater or something. He hasn't reached those heights. But, geez, it's getting towards, you know, just dropping a superstar for the sake of dropping a superstar because someone else is playing a bit better. You know, that's... I, I am alarmed that Ponga would be dropped. Uh, at the same time, Dane Gagai, you want to talk about his defensive issues and stuff, Billy Slater, that's fine. And I actually agree with you too, Wilfred, that he does have some suspect defense. But he's been picked year after year, and this is the best he's played in like five years. He's not played this well forever. Yep. And every other year he gets thrown in, and he's getting replaced by a guy in, in the hammer. He's playing really well as a fullback. But he gets thrown in at centre and he uh, in the original arena, no less. Yeah, and like Selwyn Cobbo, he doesn't have a mortgage on a, on a jumper either. And neither does Talangi. Like you've got a lot of room to fit someone like Dane Gagai in. Yep. And I, I just find that unbelievable. Like it's not even like dropping guys that you just like, yeah, look, you know, he's been really bad. You need to drop him even though he's a star. They, Dane Gagai's been great. He's played really well this year. Kurt Capewell. I'm not a massive fan, but again, Queensland kept picking him and he's been a match winner for at least a couple of games in the last couple of years. Like everyone remembers the try that he scored for the for the Queensland side to basically get them the win. You know, it's 
it's just mind-boggling to me, particularly with guys like Ponga and Gagai, who have been really stars in the Moran jersey, but also uh, genuine stars of the NRL as well, that you would drop those guys. So I'm I'm going to be far more critical than you. I'm flabbergasted, and I cannot believe that Billy has not copped a huge amount of heat for doing this. I mean, I, I think he is copping a bit of heat on that. But, yeah, probably you know hasn't been beat up as much as... It has been in the past, but look, to be fair, you know, Billy himself wasn't automatically picked uh, in game one, one year as well, right? Darius Boyd got selected ahead of him. So I think he knows what it feels like. And maybe he might've acknowledged that it wasn't necessarily a bad choice. Cause like the reasons he wasn't picked was he was also, you know, a bit short on games coming back from a major injury. So I wonder if like, it's just, you know, maybe he's got that his own experience there. Uh, like we obviously don't know what the story is, but maybe Billy Billy realized that actually not forcing me to come back before I was fully confident and ready health wise, and then play uh, Origin straight away was actually good for me back then. So maybe he's he's taking that same approach with Ponga here because I, I I genuinely don't think it's a form thing. I think yeah, if if mm-hmm. Ponga was fully healthy and there were no concerns about obviously his concussion history so far this season. I don't think there'd be an issue. Like he'd be straight in, but it's that coupled with obviously Reese Walsh being in really good form himself that I think has led to Billy having the opportunity to, to give Ponga that extra time, maybe put it that way, but I guess we'll have to wait and see, you know, obviously if they lose and you you might see Ponga rush back for game two or whatever, but yeah, I do. I do agree. Like the Gaga one is probably the biggest, biggest issue for me. I'm not too upset with Kurt Capewell because he's been pretty, like, I'll, I'll be honest, he's been pretty poor for the Broncos. So, like, four months. I've never been a fan of him being, you know, selected. The thing is that you've just kept selecting him, though, and he has actually stood up for some games. So yeah. That, that, that's the thing. Like, I, you could leave Capewell and Coates out, and I wouldn't even really talk about it much, but certainly Gagai and Ponga are the two big ones. And you don't have a star-studded backline anymore, Wilfred. Like, I think, do you think this is some inexperience from Billy showing where he's gotten you know, bamboozled by how Reese Walsh has played and he's the shiny new toy that's that's the informed fullback and does the razzle dazzle and just sort of thought, I've got to put him in rather than, you know, doing a more experienced veteran coach move of saying, you know, you've got to stick strong with Ponga. I like I don't think I don't think it's that. I, I genuinely think it might be health related for Ponga. And, you know, if if it's Ponga moving back to fullback and he's get he gets if he gets to string a couple of games together that might be an opportunity for Billy to reassess that perhaps, or I don't know. Like I'm, I'm not reading too much into that pick. I, I genuinely do see the reasons for Ponga not, you know, being automatically selected this game because he has had quite a disrupted season already. And, you know, even, I don't know, like I know he went off of the HI and he passed it and came back on the field, but you saw him have a brain snap, right? He lost count of the number of tackles. And for an experienced player like Ponga, like you can't it was help. poor. It's poor, but you can't help but think like, is there possibly because of you know the the, the knock he took earlier in the game? Like, oh, I think people made those comparisons, but I don't. I don't think like it's it's fun to make those comparisons. Yeah, I, I get say, that. You know, but I, I don't think there's anything in that because I, I just think that if you saw it, he was just he was, he was just livid that he didn't get the play that he wanted, and and he, then he laughed. He laughed while he made the mistake, but you kind of think like, um. You know, does that create enough doubt in Billy's mind, right, to to tip him in a certain mm. direction? I don't know. Like, like we're obviously just speculating on what Billy's thinking here, but 
I kind of feel like there's probably enough question marks there that it's not an egregious decision to put someone like a, you know, an informed Reese Walsh in there, but it'd be different. Like, you know, what's, what's the equivalent here? Um, like if there was no one good and you're just putting someone else in there, like, like you're, you're playing Selwyn Cobb out of position at fullback just to mm. put like Ponga, not, not play Ponga. That'd be, that would be an egregious choice. I think that would not be justified, but I think the circumstances are such that like, it's not, uh, it's not that bad overall, but we'll, we'll see obviously come Wednesday, whether it is bad. I'll throw another, I'll throw another wrinkle at you though, in this whole thing. If they'd lost last year's series, I think that it would be more palatable. But I mean, this is a winning Queensland team that he's dropped these incumbents from yep. too. So I, I think that comes into it yep, as well. I agree. I with mean, that. Look, one positive that he did, but I'm also going to swing it as a negative because you don't know, want to have another crack at Queensland. Fafita's <laughs> uh, <laughs> starting back row, awesome. Yeah, you know, it's it's exactly what Queenslanders should want to see. I've made the comment, and I've been surprised the amount of people that actually challenged me on this. Fafita has been the best edge back rower in the competition this year. And it has been from the very start. And then you have people that look at it and go, oh, he didn't score a try for the first six rounds. But it doesn't matter. The football that that Fafita is playing is phenomenal. David Fafita's work rate that he's gone up to, his intensity, um, his ball playing, some of the passes that he's thrown through to Khan Pereira have been grold. Like he is, I I cannot say enough positive stuff about how, how good a season David Fafita has had. Yet it seems like he's only starting because Queensland have players out. And I just found, I find that crazy. And I also found it crazy leading up to this, that there was a lot of media and analysts and stuff that were saying, you know, putting their teams up. And Fafita wasn't even in the 17. And then they were saying, oh, maybe he'll be able to edge his way under the bench. And I'm just like, I don't know what football people have been watching. You know, if you're going to start any edge back rower in either New South Wales or Queensland, Fafita's the first guy that you pick for me. So it's great that he's starting. I'm scared of him as a New South Wales fan, but I can't help but think, you know, how how is this happening by default? Look, it's a really good question, right? And I tend to agree with all of that. Like Fafita has definitely lifted his game to a new level. Um, his work rate and everything like that is, you know, it's where it should be for someone as freakishly talented and, and also physically gifted like he is. So that's been a massive tick, but yeah, adding that additional ball playing has been, um, you know, it's really, really elevated his overall threat. So yeah, uh, I can't yeah disagree with any of that. And I'm glad that you know, whether by fluke or not, he's fallen into starting and I'm glad that that's happening at least. <laughs> well, the things that I am worried about as a New South Wales fan, um, David Fafita is one of them. Um, and I think that you really need him to, because one of the, I think the forward pack that Queensland have is a very strong, tough, metres-driven forward pack that can defend really um, staunchly with good hits and good contact and probably get some good post-contact metres too. But one of the big um, things that I have against it too is that it's very meat and potatoes. You don't have a lot of variance in the forward pack, even off the bench. You know, guys like Ruben Cotter and Jairo, they're good workers. They're going to tackle, they're going to hit but they're not going to have a lot of variance. You don't have a lot of second phase play out of any of the forwards that you've got, really. You've got a little bit, but not a lot. You don't have a huge amount of footwork and you don't have a huge amount of uh, scoring ability to break a game open. So thankfully you have David Fafita because he gives you that. Um, But one of the worries I have at that forward pack is they've got a lot of positives and they can definitely steamroll and and be really staunch defensively. But I do worry a little bit, Wilfred, about the variance that's in that pack. Yeah, I think it's a good point. But I guess, you know, looking at the, the Queensland team, though, 
you know, from the players that they got available, they don't have too many other, you know, dynamic attacking threats like Dave Fafita. So I guess they've just got to, they've got to go with what they have and, you know, hopefully trust like, you know, someone like a Munster uh, or even like a Reese Walsh can, you know, do some game breaking, you know, from, from the back line, from the space that's created uh, through hopefully, you know, the dominance in the middle uh, that the, as you say, the, there's plenty of meter, meter eaters there and lots of post contact as well. So maybe it's that, that might be the game plan that they've got. Yeah, and look, you know, the other positive is that the, the spine is very strong. Uh, obviously, Munster, Terry Evans and Ben Hunt can create a lot and Harry Grant off the bench terrifies me. He he changes so many games coming off the bench in these representative matches. Uh, and it's a big worry, even though he's out of form a little bit, he could come on and, and really expose the Blues. So very strong there. Um, but I will say, you know, Reese Walsh, he'll be targeted. And I'm very keen to see how he stands up to that. He's a small body. Um, he's done very well. He's found a lot of space. His ball playing has been great. He's been very hard to tackle. But does that actually happen at origin level? You know, and the confidence that he has at the Broncos is really high. You know, if if the Blues hammer him early, which I think will be the game plan, uh, it'll be interesting to see how he goes through the next 70-odd minutes of that football game. And I, I think that that's probably one of the little holes in the spine that is otherwise a big worry for New South Wales. I mean, it's the debutante, right? So it makes sense that he's going to get plenty of attention early on. So, yeah, I, it'll be really interesting to see how he steps up to that. Uh, but, yeah, one thing that he's always not lacked is confidence. So we'll have to wait and see how he you know, adjusts to the, the extra pressure that comes with, obviously, that origin uh, kind of environment, that atmosphere that they've got. Mm. And, he, and if he starts well? You know, you, you'd fear it as a New South Wales fan because he's such a good confidence player and he just te- tends to go on with it, doesn't he? So that's, that's a worry. But are you worried as a Queensland fan about your um, your outside backs? Because, you know, when you're looking at Talangi, Tabuai Fado, Holmes, Cobbo, there's a few question marks in there. Um, how are you feeling about your wingers and centres combinations? Look, I I think... It's 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 perfectly fine as a backline. It's just the fact that you guys have Latrell and Tommy Turbo in the centers. That's the scary <laughs> thing. Like, I don't think there's anything like it's not controversial to say that those two guys in the centers. It's just it's frightening, right? On top of obviously, you know, the structure and the consistency that you're going to get from Nathan Cleary, the randomness that is Jerome Luai, and obviously Teddy, vintage Teddy can you know do anything whenever he feels like it. So. It's a scary, scary backline that the Blues have. And, you know, you could argue with Campbell Graham not being selected. Like, that's that's a whole different thing. Uh, maybe he's just not healthy enough to play. But, yeah, look, Adokar is an absolute origin stalwart. He's always performed at origin level, so that's never in doubt. And then Brian Toto, like, maybe he's not been as effective as he has last year, but he's still really super, super consistent. His work rate's still absolutely up there, and I dare say there's going to be plenty of opportunities from the score tries, especially against Talangi, uh, who I, I just don't think he's played that well this year. It's just, yeah, he's obviously there because of Val, I reckon. So uh, it, it's not a slight on the Queensland guys. I think they're all good players. It's just they're not Luttrell, Tommy Turbo, and you know the guys that you guys have, basically. Yeah, I think that's a fair call, and it's a good segue over the New South Wales side. I was fairly happy with the New South Wales side as a fan, and there's obviously some controversial things to talk about, so let's hit the controversy first and then talk about how we think that could go and what we think about this game one. 
prediction. Uh, first controversy is obviously the guy that you mentioned, Campbell Graham. And, you know, I, I actually made um, what Luke Garrity called an outlandish comment or, or fairly wild that Campbell Graham to me is the best centre or winger in the competition right now. And I don't think it's as wild as what Luke thought, but, you know, I just on form this year, I don't think there's a better centre um, playing actually at centre. And out of the wingers there, if you put Campbell Graham against those guys, and Campbell Graham has spent half his career just about playing as a winger, played wing for Australia in the World Cup, I think that he's better than all of those guys on form as well. So, I mean, I I probably would have had Campbell Graham instead of Josh Adokar. You know, Josh Adokar wasn't in the side last year, obviously played very well in the second half of last year and leading into the World Cup, but he also hasn't played hardly any football at the moment aside from his game on the weekend. So I think that Campbell Graham on the wing or even Turbo on the wing if you wanted, Campbell Graham could have easily been on the wing and I think that would have been fine, probably what I would have done, but I wouldn't complain about it. Um, what I will say is that you can't leave Latrell Mitchell or Tom Travojevic out to put Campbell Graham in. So I, I just find it insane that people think that might be a move. You know, these guys are all-time players in the modern era. Latrell Mitchell, arguably the best player in the league right now this season. You can't leave him out to put Campbell Graham in. At the same time, the whole Josh Adokar stuff, like everybody killed Freddie last year for leaving Josh Adokar out. Now everybody's killing, well, some people are killing him for not putting Campbell Graham on the wing and picking Josh Adokar. Like, you just can't win, really, can you? How do you make this whole Campbell Graham situation? Look, and, and I, my take on it is I think, and this is my understanding, so um, my take on it is based off this understanding. He's been carrying a sternum injury, and the Rabbitohs have come out and said that he's been not training. Um, you know, most of the week he usually just rocks up for the captain's run, you know, goes through the walkthroughs and stuff, but he's not taking contact early in the week. He's not doing full training sessions effectively to manage that injury. So as I understand it, when he went to the blues, uh, and, and, you know, obviously he was selected as 18th man and he was there as an option to you know, be involved. But my understanding is because, uh, the, the medical team checked him out and said, well, you've got the sternum injury here and you can't train. Um, I think that's where they ruled him out. Like they said, well, we, it's probably best that you're not on the team and someone else can be an 18th man instead or whatever it might've been. So for me, that makes sense because, you know, you don't want a disrupted origin camp with a debutante, like someone who's not actually, you know, he's not an incumbent or anything like that. It's not had that experience previously of training and being part of the top 17 or whatever to, you know, not be there and then come in to train later and stuff like you only have 10 days or 11 days or whatever to, to have this camp, to build as many combinations as you can. You're all bloody good players, but you know, you're not going to have that connection and the more you can train together, the better. So I can see the blues not wanting to have that disruption. And whereas, you know, he's obviously gone back and he's most likely playing for the bunnies. That's a different story. Like they've been training week in, week in a cow. They've had the full preseason together. You know, he knows it's the combination and everything. And exactly. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not controversial to go and just train captain's run and then play each, each week. So that to me makes sense. And if that's genuinely the reason, then I'm all, you know, I'm fine with that. If they've used it as a reason to not play him, then that's not so good. Cause I agree. He's been such a good center. Um, I would have thought, you know, fully healthy him at right center and Tommy Turbo right wing. That probably would have been fine to me, but at the end of the day, like, you know, the combination, the team you've named is fantastic. 
if you had Campbell Graham in there, if he was fully fit, it would have been bloody good as well. I don't think you're ever going to lose out as long as you have, you know, either Fox or Graham or, or, or Turbo. One, you know, one combination of that, those three players, it, it was always always going to be a really good backline. So I don't think it's that big of a deal in the end because it's not like he's, you know, Dane Gagai like incumbent, right? He's mm. not had that prior experience. So. Yeah, I think that's my take on it. I don't think it's egregious at all, and people are acting like it is. And like you can say that, and like, I'm Campbell Graham's biggest fan. Like last few years, he's been one of my favourite centres, and I just I've called him as a Origin player for six, seven years in the future. You know, I just I think so highly of him. I can't even talk about how highly I think of him, but I'm not unhappy with the back line. Uh, the other controversial thing: upside Coruscant starting at nine, no hooker on the bench. I would have personally picked Damian Cook. Um, I don't know if it's going to matter a great deal. I'm certainly not angry about it. I'm happy to go with what the coaching staff have picked. But to me, I, like I would have much rather had Damian Cook there than Appy. People have talked about, um, there's been some interesting stats about Coruscant's tackling. Um, also, you know, on the flip side, people have talked about Damian Cook's service and maybe Appy being a, a better service to his halves than what Cook is at times. I would have had Cook there myself, but how do you see that um, New South Wales nine situation and Damien Cook being dropped? Yeah, I wonder if it's, you know, if it's just that they needed to fit Nico in and then it was, you know, he was he was going to have to be a 14, right? Because I don't think they were ever really considering dropping Luai. So it was always going to be, well, we have Nico in as 14, then we're going to have to run one hooker. And it just came down to probably which hooker works best with Cleary and Luai. And obviously, you know, they had all that, all those games together at the Panthers and we've seen the difference that having Appy there and giving quality service to Cleary and Luai and, you know, the teething issues that the Panthers, Panthers have had with, you know, the drop in quality of their number nine and the service that the halves can get. So, I I, I, think, I genuinely think maybe it just came down to that, which hooker that was prepared, preferred by the halves. And obviously I don't think it was, it's surprising that they would have picked Appy over Cookie there. So look, if it was me, I tend to agree. Like I think Cook's got a lot more, uh, like he's been great performer for the Blues for so long. And, you know, he's had games where he's actually dominated it. I don't think we've seen that from Appy, albeit that's because he's, not had as much opportunity to do that. So, yeah, he's Appy's going to want to play well in game one. Otherwise, I do think his spot might be at risk. Yeah, I agree. And I, I do think that Cook's much more proven and has much more ability to break a game open than what Coruscant does. And I do think that New South Wales should have that variant in there. But I'm not hugely critical of any of this. I'm happy just to run with what Brad Fittler and the coaching staff have decided to go with. Um, the only one thing that I am quite critical of, only selection, a little bit controversial, I guess, but there's absolutely no way I would have picked Jerome Luai. No way in the world. <laughs> uh, Nico Hines is, the, to me, the best player in the league. He's the reigning Dally M player of the year last year. He has been phenomenal again this year. Jerome Luai's had maybe two good games all season and they happen to have come recently. He has been down on form and he was a, Jerome Luai was a worse option last year. It was just that, you know, Nico Hines would have been debuting and hadn't won the Dally M yet. We hadn't seen a full season of him at halfback. He didn't have all the, the data there. You've got all that now. Hines is such a better player than Luai Wilfred. And it just, 
seems like a massive waste to me. I wouldn't have either of them as a utility. I think that you have to bite the bullet and pick the better player. Nico Hines is a better player. And for me, Hines opens the game up tremendously. He can play both sides of the field. He's a much better playmaker than than, um, Jerome Luai. He's a much better kicker of the football than Jerome Luai is. He's much more dynamic. He's a great team player too to fit in with Cleary. It would make things so much easier for us. Yeah, look, I I mean, I don't disagree with any of that, but I also think it was never really a genuine option for Freddie. I, I think he's... He's pretty committed to going, you know, like you guys love your club combos, right? And obviously. But we lost last year's series too. I mean, we're not the winning Queensland team from last year either. You yeah. know, I don't think anyone would have had a go at him for dropping Luai for Hines. No, except maybe Nathan Cleary would have been, might not have been. Yeah, happy. Panthers would feel extremely aggrieved and say it's a conspiracy, but whatever. <laughs> you know, they've won enough comps and stuff and won a premierships lately. Yeah. And look, the thing with Luai is, you know, he's, we saw a couple of weeks back where he just had an absolutely wild game. Just everything he was doing was coming off and he does have that in him, right? When his unpredictability just goes well, but it's just his, his quiet games and his involved games are such a, there's such a wide variance, right? Whereas someone like a Nico is just constantly involved. Like he's just always on the ball. And I, I kind of feel like, you know, does that potentially cause issues between Cleary and him, right? Just they're both very dominant first receiver uh, players and, you know, for their clubs, they're just always touching the ball first. So I, I wonder if that's part of the thinking for Freddie. I, I obviously don't know, but yeah, I mean, on, on pe- no, that could be, but I mean, it's like I've made the controversial statement previously that I actually think that, you know, it's not having a go at Nathan Cleary to say, and it came out last year as well. He hasn't particularly dominated at origin level. Maybe it's unfair to say, it's up to Nathan Cleary to win games in an origin arena. It's up to Nathan Cleary to put on points for this team. And you just, everyone else follows him. Like Queensland have always had, you know, combos of, you know, Thurston, Cronk, Slater at fullback and all these other, it's always been a combo job, right? People like to say that, you know, Cleary hasn't done it. I think that we've built teams where it's been almost an expectation that he has to. And with this team, it is, you know, like it's, Really, it's Nathan Cleary. There's a lot on his shoulders from a kicking perspective. Um, we saw last year already, we haven't learned from that mistake, that we were a lot better when Burton was next to him because Burton could be a secondary kicking option. Um, and that worked out great, took the pressure off him. But now again, all the pressure's on Nathan Cleary to kick, all the pressure's on him to playmake because, you know, Teddy's not a huge playmaker these days in an Origin Arena, you know, not massive. Coruscant and, and Luai aren't either. You know, it's, it's a lot of pressure on Cleary and it hasn't worked before that well. So to me, you know, it's not taking the ball out of Cleary's hands sometimes just means that he can pick and choose his moments better to me and probably perform better. And there's no reason why you need to have a sole alpha at origin level, have two alpha playmakers. And, and that's far better to me. And I just, I just think it's an opportunity that we've missed really badly for New South Wales. I wouldn't be surprised if there is a change later, obviously. And there's, you know, at least Nick goes in the team and can come on and, you know, maybe you'll see when Nick is on the field and he's, well, hopefully he's not playing hooker and you get to see him play maybe in the halves a bit or at least have that roaming role in the middle. Like there might be opportunities to see how a Cleary-Hines combo can actually work. So no doubt they'll um, try a few things. And, yeah, look, all, all I can say is as a Queenslander, I'm kind of happy that that's where Freddie's gone for now. And <laughs> That probably says it all, right? <laughs> like if you're happy about it, we shouldn't be doing it. 
It's, it's a, to me, they're wasted on the bench too. Like Luai off the bench doesn't work. Hines off the bench doesn't work. You don't want to change your, your halves combination midway through an origin game. You know, it's, I would have actually had, and again, it sounds like another controversial opinion. I actually would have put Matt Burton on the bench as a utility because I think he's a big body. He's played a lot of centre. Um, he can obviously play either halfback or 5'8". And you could also put him in at lock and he's he's a big enough build and, and that type of player where you could do it, you know? Like, I don't want to compare him to a Brad Fittler because very different players and, and Freddie's an amazing player when he was playing. But it's that type of build where Freddie could slot in at centre, he could slot in at 13, he could slot in the halves and, and it worked out really well. I could see Matt Burton carving out an origin career doing that. Whereas to me, Luai or Hines just don't have that versatility or impact and it becomes a notion of, geez, I'm really scared that we get to an end of an origin game and either these guys don't play minutes, whether it's Hines or Luai on the bench, or they they get thrust into playing a role of minutes that just aren't going to work for them and then they get exposed. You know, it's that's a real worry for me, what we've done at six and utility. I tend to think, though, and look, Queensland have done it for a long time. Like, they've just picked a good playmaker, right? You know, Cronk's had his time. DC's had his time. They've all had that, you know, role as the 14 where they just come on and they just do stuff and you know Queensland run around with three playmakers on the field so I dare say you know Bellamy does it with the Storm guys right Papnaus did it Night Hines did it before they took on full-time roles so I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that kind of approach here but I hope we do hope we do because I mean don't you think it would be really wasted though if you end up playing like eight minutes at, at nine yeah look absolutely but like I dare say you know Maybe the, the the template's been there and, and Freddie's copying it a little bit. But, you know, we saw Pong coming on as a 14, right? And he played 50 minutes just as a middle. I was, I was surprised that that worked, but it did work very well for you guys. Yeah. and But, like, that's that's not just a Pong thing. Like, they used to do that with Frank and DC and, and Michael Morgan. And, yeah, it it's always been relatively effective. So I wonder if that, you know, just because you're putting your best players out there and letting them work it out, um, maybe that's all it takes sometimes. So who knows? Like I, I dare say Nico is going to do whatever he, he needs to do. He's had experience playing that uh, role off the bench with, you know, his time at the storm. So it's a very good point that I forgot about too. Yeah, I, right. I think he'll be fine. Honestly, like he's bloody good and yeah, I'll be nervous once he steps on that field. The last controversial pick. And I have talked myself into loving this. <laughs> and I really should. Let's go Pangai. <laughs> Pangai Jr. at prop. Uh, look, I, when you see it, you go, geez, that's a bolter. Oh, I don't, I don't know about that. But the more you think about it, you just sort of go, you know what I was worried about, Wilfred, as a Blues fan, when I kept seeing these teams that had like a Daniel Saifidi on the bench and you're just like, no, there's got to be someone better. And then when you start to look at the front row forward stocks, they've been depleted for so many years in New South Wales where they just, we don't have any. You've got Payne and Barlow. And then after that, there just isn't anyone. And you would hate to get pushed into these guys that are plotters and that don't have much to give. And in fairness, Daniel Saifidi is in not very good form and he's gotten a lot of opportunity before. He's had multiple games, you know. So I, I really needed to get away from that. And when you have a look at it, really, you know, being fair to Freddie and the Blues team, there wasn't a lot of front row forward options, but Pangai Jr. does provide some variance. He provides aggression, and he's an origin type of player in that regard. He's going to be aggressive. He's going to really stick it up to Queensland, and you need that in every pack, um, and especially against this Queensland pack with the way that they are. 
they've got some fiery guys that can do a bit of that. So you need your own ones like that. So I've talked myself into from questioning the the pick to understanding the pick to actually liking the pick. Um, But you're a Penguin Junior fan from way back from his Bronco days. So how did you see this one? Look, I was surprised. But as you say, the more you think about it, the more it does kind of make a bit of sense. And it's either going to be a coaching masterstroke or Panga will get himself sin-binned and, you know, it's going to, it's going to backfire massively. But you're right. Like what he, what he brings is like that aggression. But I, I think it's, um, and we, we had a chat about this on the Champions podcast, but not strictly Supercoach related. But Joe Fitz, uh, my co-host, brought up a really good point in that one thing that's Panga, that Panga has done repeatedly over the years is when he's been given a job to shut down a player, He's been really bloody good at it. And I, I cast my mind back to those, you know, classic Cowboys, Broncos, derbies where Pangai would start and his sole job was to nullify Jason Tamalolo. And, you know, there's been times where his game was, you know, Lolo was running for 200 plus meters uh, a game and then Pangai did a job on him and he ran for under 100. And yeah, that's the impact that Pangai can have where he just constantly just comes after this person and just hits him and hits him and hurts him. And soon enough, they're, they're not steaming onto the ball anymore. They're not hunting for the ball. They withdraw. And then, you know, it wasn't just a clash between the Cowboys because then he was tasked with shutting down Fafita when he went to the Titans and Hangar did the same thing. He took Fafita out of the game. And I, I just think, I wonder if that's what Freddie's hoping for here. He wants to give Pangai a really simple job you run out there and you just hit Fafita every time you see him and you make him not want to come get the ball. And, you know, it's, it's, it's worked in Cloveland. We haven't seen it, obviously, at origin level. And it could be quite effective if Pango gets his job right, right? The problem is, is, you know, he goes, he goes too high, he goes too hard. Mm. He gets, you know, triggered himself and loses his mind and throws a punch or whatever. That's within the range of outcomes too. But oh, I'm off for bringing back the beef. Let's get an origin fight going. Pango <laughs> versus Flegler. The old teammates, let's do it. <laughs> oh, the, the good thing too is that uh, at origin level, some of that stuff is negated, and I think people forget about this, uh, but I certainly don't think the coaching stuff forget about this. They, they don't blow a lot of penalties. You can get away with a lot more. So if you're slightly high on a couple of tackles or a little bit late or holding, you know, hitting guys, they're, they're not going to blow origin penalties because someone got hit under the ribs and hurt. You know, like we saw with like, you know, Tyson Frizzell hit a couple of weeks ago and ridiculous stuff, you know. (laughs) They don't just blow a penalty because someone gets hurt. You know, you're going to get away with a bit in an origin arena. So that lends itself to someone like Pangai Jr. And it probably negates some of the risk as well. Yeah. No, and that's fair. So the the other thing I was going to say is that, you know, it wasn't that long ago. It was last season when he led the league in offloads. So Mm. that is one of his... Greatest, greatest attacking outlets as well. So we know second phase can be really effective at origin level. It's it's harder, obviously, to get the to get to get the offloads away. So provided he does it, you know, in a controlled manner, that that could be a, a real threat that he brings as well. So look, like I said, you know, it could be a disaster, but I also do think I can see where where he can really hurt Queensland too. So yeah, it's a it's a high risk, potentially high reward pick from Freddie there. I really like that Hudson Young got rewarded. It's a really positive story. Uh, Hudson Young's been one of the the better second rowers for the last couple of seasons. Um, certainly, I think Fafita, you know, I'd put ahead of him on this year, but if I was going to pick the second best 
Ed's back row, I'd probably pick Hudson Youngwood for him this year. He's been fantastic, and it's great that he gets a starting jersey to, to start on an edge. I think that's a really good pick. Uh, but he's someone else who offloads a lot, right? So and this is one of the things I like about the Blues forward pack um, and get edging towards our predictions for this, Wilfred. I'll say one of the reasons why I think that we'll win game one uh, is I think two things. One, the variance in the pack, which I said I, I think could be Queensland's Achilles heel. Savita Penko Jr. led the league in offloads last year. Payne Haas has already offloaded more than any other time in his career this season. Hudson Young, in the last two months of footy, is averaging almost three offloads a game. Junior Barlow is a noted offloader and big body coming off the bench. That second phase play is going to be outstanding. Um, at the same time, guys like Hudson Young, uh, pretty agile, um, and, Yo- and Yo as well as a 13. But then off the back of that second phase play and the variance in the forward pack, you've also got a backline that I think is a match-winning backline. Um, certainly you've mentioned the strike Having Turbo and Latrell in the centres, we New South Wales win with that, that combination. And I just think that there's going to be too many points in there. So I'm going to tip a New South Wales win on that basis, but I expect Queensland to come out uh, pretty hard as well, obviously. Look, if I was trying to be super objective on paper, I'm going to say the Blues should win, but I'm going to trust in the good old-fashioned Queensland spirit that we just get Origin more and we're going to win. Oh, he's pulling the spirit card out. Here we go. Had to come out. Of course. Come on. I wouldn't be a Queensland fan if I didn't. <laughs> Queensland spirit. Pick and stick. All right. That's fair enough. Let's move along. Uh, listener's corner. So question for this week's a real simple one, but I like it. Top four predictions at the moment. At the end of the season, who's going to finish top four in the NRL? Wilfred, take it away. Who's your top four teams at the end of this season when uh, round 27 is over? I'm actually going to say that it's going to be the current top four. Panthers, Rabbitohs, Sharks, Broncos. So boring. I know, I know. but So boring. Look, I, I, it's not boring because I think the Broncos staying there is a spicier take than it sounds. It is because they're not staying there for me. <laughs> I didn't think so. Another <laughs> storm coming in. Uh, Penrith and South for sure. Yep. They're locked and loaded. There's no way they're going to be out of the top four. I'm going to leave Cronulla there. I think in another year, Cronulla could slip out of the top four. Uh, but I think the fall off from teams like the Roosters and uh, certainly, you know, some of these other greener teams in the top eight and Manly's capitulation means that there's there's no chance that um, Cronulla will be out of the top four. I do think that that other spot is a bit more up for grabs, but I'm going to put the Storm in there. So Penrith, South, Cronulla, Storm, not in that order, although I think Penrith and South will be one and two in, in one order or another and Cronulla will be in one order or another with uh, the Storm and the Sharks. So definitely Brisbane dropping out. Um, I hope for Brisbane fans that they don't drop out of the eight entirely like last year, but, you know, stranger things have happened like last year. <laughs> but, um, uh, but no, I think the Brisbane will make the eight, uh, but they're not going to be top four. And I think that this period is going to test them out a little bit, like I said, but they'll they'll still be there come finals time. So, yeah. Yeah, the one thing I will That's say. That's my top four. Yeah, look, I, I it was it was between the Broncos and the Storm for me as well. But the one thing I will say is because the Broncos do have eight wins on the board already, so and they've, they're going to get three buys. Uh, three, you know, six competition points for free there. Uh, yep. So I think that is going to help keep them up there. So, you know, the Storm are similarly affected over Origin as well. And, yeah, so the fact that there's a two-game buffer between the Broncos to, you know, the Dolphins, Warriors, Raiders, and three games down to the Seagulls, Eels, Roosters, Titans, like I think that that gap is sizable to get to the top four. So that's the only reason I'm actually feeling a little bit more confident keeping them there. But it's, yeah, Broncos are storm for that fourth spot for me. That's fair. And I think, like, the, you know, we should probably talk about any other contenders to come in. Um, 
for me, I think it's a year where there isn't really many contenders, but if you're going to have a dark horse coming to the top four, uh, for me, my dark horse is Parramatta. They're still on five wins, despite the tough start to the year and the fact they're in 13th spot. Uh, and there isn't actually that big a difference when you have a look at, you know, the top eight versus, you know, the 13th team. Uh, so I think if I'm going to go for a dark horse for a bit of a run into the top four, I think it's open enough where Para has a chance. Um, what about you, mate? Do you have a, a dark horse that we haven't mentioned for top four? Yeah, look, I'm going to I'm gonna back the Warriors. I know it's super, super... Big! I know. But look, you, you call them a dark horse, but, you know, the Warriors have, have had a really tough draw. Uh, if you look at they have. look at the play, the teams that they've faced so far, like they've come up and you know they knocked off the sharks. They you know put up a genuine fight against the storm. They did lose to the roosters, and you know they were brave, but they lost to the panthers. That's no surprise. So you know moving forward, their draw does ease up a bit, and I I do think if they keep playing the way they do, and that's the big if, right? Because the warriors and the traditionally have always struggled post origin. So I think they'll notch up a couple more wins over this origin period, starting with my Broncos this round. And then I think, yeah, they're going to eventually, yeah, it just comes down to can they maintain the form. But you look at the end, like the they got the Dolphins, the Dragons, Seagulls, Tigers, Titans after their bye. So, you know, as far as finishing draws go, there are definitely a lot tougher ones out there. So it's, it's, it's wild and controversial, but, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say up, up the waz. <laughs> Oh, spicy. Oh, look, I, I knew I could drag something controversial out of you. It's taken a while, but I got there um, <laughs> after your boring top four pick. Oh, look, we're up to the second last segment of the podcast, Barnsley Spray of the Week. Hang Can on. I do the caveat that I don't mean to smash match officials every second week? But, you know, <laughs> oh, it's going to be a bunker one, right? We're going to talk about the bunker this past round. And we haven't really just smashed the bunker. It's more being referee in, in the, some other sprays. But the bunker, let's just let me just throw up there a few different examples from this round. It was a horrible round for the bunker, and the question has rightly been asked again: well, What are we doing with the bunker? What are there even processes there for? The Bulldogs game, Reed Marnie hip drop, no case to answer for the match review committee, and Annesley was basically embarrassed that this was put on. Only a week and a bit ago, Wilfred, the NRL themselves said fans don't understand what they're talking about. And went up and ended up going, you know what, fans? Here's a video of what we look for and what we consider a hip drop. Here are the pointers that we're going to give you to educate you. And then one of their own referees in a bunker that could watch it 28,000 times comes to a decision that a regular tackle that ends up on one side of a leg is a hip drop tackle. It was a debacle. I tried not to swear there. Broncos game for you, Wilfred. Sorensen scores a try. No try. Why? No reason. It was just a shit call. Walsh. Almost given a try until the ref says, hey, mate, I've just watched it on the big screen. That doesn't look right. And then the the bunker has to look again, changes their mind, which you hear the whole conversation for, and rules against Reese Walsh and says that he takes out the fullback, which was the right call, but was going to be awarded a try if the referee on the field didn't step in. It is an absolute basket case. Like I asked the question afterwards, why don't we just, to make some extra money for the NRL, because sometimes they're a bit hard up for cash, just put just put the bunker that cost a million bucks on Facebook Marketplace. Maybe we can get 50 grand for it. Because at the moment, all we need is the referee just to watch the big screen because they're making better calls than the million-dollar bunker right now. That is how stupid some of these decisions have been. And I'll finish off by saying, as a Roosters fan, Wilfred, Radley, 80% of the time Radley gets binned, I reckon he's hard done by. 
and he gets picked on immensely the last three years. He should have been binned on the weekend. <laughs> he's used his head. I don't call it a headbutt, but he's led with the head to hit somebody. It's the same as a punch. Yeah. Like, that was the easiest sin bin ever. And all the other times he's been hard done by. And this is the time that they choose to die on their hill of not binning Radley. What is going on? And then they're suspended for three weeks. <laughs> Honestly, this, this bunker stuff, you've got to ask yourself, what are the processes? Are there even processes? And why are you educating fans for when your officials are doing this in the bunker? Yeah, uh, look, uh, that that spray is spot on. And, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It is very frustrating, especially with the whole hip drop. Like, yeah, the fact that they put out an explainer and then their own officials can't follow it, and that, yeah, that's the classic NRL, isn't it? <laughs> oh, just uh, Did you feel that on the weekend that there was just a multitude of issues? Like, surely you saw all these as a problem on the weekend. Yeah, look, at the same time, you know, um, maybe I've, and it's probably a bad thing that I've just resigned to the fact that there is, you know, always going to be human error. Like, at the end of the day, the bunker is ultimately controlled by the guy, you know, all girls, you know, in the in the bunker, right? So it's not the tech. They've obviously got the tech, but maybe the process that the, the human, the ref that's following, they didn't go well or whatever. I don't know what it is, but yeah. Uh, I think it's it's good in theory, but the execution is certainly a little bit lacking at times. But I will say, you know, we are always going to criticise the, you know, the 5% of times where it's wrong. It's just obviously 5% mm. is too much. You hope that that 5% gets closer to 1%. And, you know, 0% is never going to happen because, you know, no. it's rugby league and there's a human element always. But, yeah, you think when you, when you spend $2 million or whatever it is they spend on the bunker, you can use that to reduce that 5% down to 1% or 2%. So I think that's all fans really want, right? Just as much consistency as possible. Yeah, I think that, that sums it up perfectly. Like there's two major gripes I think that I've got with it. One is that I'm I'm very more lax on officials making a mistake on the field because you have to do it real time and you, you get to watch it once and maybe you miss it. The bunker gets to watch it as many times as they want and we have stoppages in games for long periods of time for them to get the answer right. And that's an issue if you can't. The second thing is that there is always a line in the sand of professionalism and versus being just absolutely amateur or poor at your job. You're going to have stuff that gets that gets wrong, but it has to be at a professional enough level where it doesn't happen often or it's not egregious. It is happening too often and it is far too egregious at this point for it to be okay. It has to change. There's got to be processes in place because to, summarize, to finish off on it, I don't even know what processes they follow anymore. I think we're at a point, Wilfred, where I would actually be happy if there was no bunker. Why don't we, I'll say for tries only, review tries. Other than that, I don't want to hear from the bunker. If it's not a try, don't review it. And if you are going to review it as a try, it's the bunker's call, not the referees. Otherwise, it's just a debacle and it's a wild west and everyone's just doing whatever they want. Let's finish on something positive. Legend rewind. Dual international. Matty Rogers. He played for Queensland, Wilfred. Um, interesting little tidbit, though, uh, before we get into all the positive stuff. I've got a bit of a bone to pick with Matty Rogers and the Queensland selectors. He was born in Sutherland, not just down the road from me. Played for the Ingerdine Dragons in the junior club. Yep, played against them all my life as well. He played for Queensland. He's, he's old man. He's a Cronulla great. He was born in Sutherland Hospital, New South Wales. Was eligible for Queensland still because he got to pick which state he wanted to 
to play for and he actually picked Queensland. So an apt one for State of Origin week. But I mean, you know, before we get into his stats and everything, you know, he was obviously a great, a great Queensland player, great Sharks player as well. You know, what do you remember about Matty Rogers? I remember like, you know, not staying away from the, the Queensland side of things. I just remember him like, it's probably not, not a good thing, but I actually remember him playing for the Titans more particularly. And maybe it's because I got into league a little bit later. Um, you know, I wasn't that big of a hardcore fan earlier um, when I was a bit younger. So yeah, I was a little bit older but when I started watching as, um, you know, fanatically as I do now. So yeah, it's actually some of the Titans games that I actually remember him more clearly from rather than the Sharks. So I guess at that, at that stage of his career, he wasn't as good. So I have to admit, you know, I wasn't, um, you know, I never saw him in his prime or never watched enough of his, of his games closely when he was, you know, playing his best, best footy. But uh, yeah, I think he's always been super talented. Um, and we obviously, you know, once he did leave, as you say, he's a dual code international. I, I never watched him play union because I never watched union. So <laughs> I don't know how he went there. Oh, the disrespect to Matty Rogers. <laughs> no, I, I understand not watching rugby union. He ended up with 200 NRL games, despite the fact that he went over and played a significant portion of his career in rugby union. 77 games for the Gold Coast, 123 for the Sharks. Uh, obviously, his old man, Steve Rogers, was a Sharks all-time great. And when he came in, I think there was a lot of pressure on Matt Rogers to live up to the Rogers name. Um, and a lot of the time, you just see kids not be able to do it. Um, and somehow he actually managed to eclipse his point, his old man's point scoring record at Cronulla because he was a noted goal kicker and playing 123 games for Cronulla, um, carved out his own role at the club as a, as a club great. Um, but his, his career is almost in three parts, isn't it? It's quite interesting because it's the first part. He debuted in 1995 with the Sharks. He left in 2001 and played rugby union. And it was a phenomenal rugby union career. And then he came over and actually played for the Gold Coast between 2007 and 2011 for 77 games. Very different parts of his career. In the Cronulla part of his career, um, he came on, was playing on the wing, scored 75 tries and 123 appearances, prolific point scorer, 72% goal kicker at the Cronulla Sharks as well. Um, And then when he went over to Rugby Union, it was quite controversial because they actually moved people around in the Wallabies team to accommodate him so he could play fullback. Um, because he was always ended up getting shafted onto the wing, even though he wanted to play fullback or even in the centres or 5'8", which he played later on for the Titans. Um, when he went over to the Wallabies, he got thrown in over to Union. He got thrown in straight there. And guys like Stephen Larkham were put out of position and so forth in the rugby union side because, you know, Matty Rogers was there. Ended up missing 31% of his games in rugby union, which is probably the um, the negative. But in my lifetime, he's by far and away the best rugby league player that went to rugby union and exceeded, you know, he was, he made an impact straight away for the Wallabies. He was a, a phenomenal attacking player. And it's probably because he had, even though he's a rugby league winger, you know, Wilfred, you put other wingers in a rugby union and they're not going to work that well. You get guys that can score a lot of tries, but you couldn't really put them anywhere, but on the wing to finish. Matty Rogers, three minute fullback for the Wallabies. He could kick the ball. So he was a, he was a noted kicker. He could pass, he could finish. He was very, very fast runner as well. Uh, and he wasn't afraid of the contact, even though he was a smaller guy. Um, and then he comes across to the Titans, like you said, and was one of their key signings for their first year. 
in the Gold Coast. So, you know, pretty phenomenal career. You don't normally get that type of career from a, a lot of players like what Matty Rogers had. I do think, like, he, if I'm not mistaken, he went to school uh, on the Gold Coast, right, at Southport School. So they, they he did. as a GPS school, they played Union. So I think that's probably where, you know, it was a lot easier for him to adjust having, you know, a fair bit of experience playing Union through high school. So that's probably why he settled in so easily. Yeah, it's true. Um, and look, he's just, when you look at his positions, you know, he played fullback, centre wing and fly half. And he got moved into fly half for the Wallabies too, which is quite crazy. Uh, but then again, you know, he's playing in the sixth jumper for the Gold Coast Titans for a portion of time as well. So only a small bloke. He's only, he was always only about 85 kilos and only about six foot. So, um, but yeah, phenomenal scoring record. When he was playing for the New South Wales Waratahs, 17 tries in 32 games and playing for Australia, uh, 14 tries in 45 games and 46 goals for 163 points. Prolific scorer. Um, and I always remember like that, you're right, at the Titans' time, he wasn't at his peak. Um, but I admired the way that he managed to change his game and also be a leader. Like he, he was one of the important signings for them just as an experienced leader for the Gold Coast Titans in their first year back. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, for, for an, a new club like, when you talk about marquee signings, right? You've seen with the Dolphins coming into the league, how they've just struggled to get someone. But obviously, you know, when the Titans came in to the NRL, they were able to land, obviously, Matt Rogers. And that that was massive for them back then. So, yeah, I I think he was obviously not just important to the league, but obviously for the Titans too, um, you know, for furthering that expansion. And for Australia, it managed 11 games. And for your Queensland Maroons, he managed eight games. Um, and that was always a representative career that was kind of cut short, partially because he went to rugby union when he was still peaking, and also partially because there was just so there was just players in front of him, especially on the wings, um, and especially at fullback for Australia and Queensland. So uh, a much shorter representative career than what he probably deserved. Uh, but also probably I know you didn't watch him as much as what I did, and especially growing up in the Cronulla Sutherland area. You know, I, I watched watched him all through from when he came in in ninety five onwards, but um, pretty unheralded and, and a little bit forgotten. Um, but he was one of those guys like you sort of, like now, right, when you look at the representative teams, you've got the guys that are on the wing for everyone, um, for the Australian side and then for the New South Wales and Queensland side. And then you've got the guys that don't quite make it, but are just amazing footballers week in and week out for their club. But those guys tend to get forgotten if they only play a sprinkle of rep games. He was one of those guys and he would have played more rep games too if he didn't go over to rugby union. So... Matty Rogers, I, I always remember the skill and uh, the speed and finishing, uh, a lot of tries, and I loved watching him play. And I, he holds a very dear spot in the hearts of many Cronulla supporters in particular. So great career for Matty Rogers. Great podcast for us, Wilfred. You've been fantastic today. Thanks for jumping on. Great chat about footy as always, and uh, I'm sure that you will agree that New South Wales is going to win game one too. Up the Queenslanders. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for jumping on, mate. I appreciate it. Jump on to Wilfred's uh, Supercast Champions podcast as well. You can grab that one everywhere. Uh, and also make sure that you stream, download or share us off iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud. We're everywhere. Also follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore Allstars. Jump on picklebet.com and use referral code when you sign up of Allstars, all one word. They'll take great care of you as one of our listeners, picklebet.com. And thanks very much for listening, everyone. Good luck with your bets, with your super coach, or just enjoy the viewing of round 13. I can't wait to chat all about it again next week. 
probably at a slightly different time because I'm not going to be recording on Wednesday because it's state of origin. Go New South Wales. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. And all that is going. Only shooting stars.